would you say if you knew you were going to die and had a chance to sum up everything that was most important to you? What would you say? That's how the best-selling book, The Last Lecture, got its start. It had been a custom at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh to invite a professor to answer that question. What would you say if you knew you were going to die and had a chance to sum up everything that was most important to you? When they extended that invitation to Randy Pausch, professor of computer sciences, uh, the question was not hypothetical for him at all. He had recently been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and he'd been given only a few months to live. Even though that day he was still able to do uh, one-handed push-ups uh, on the platform, that's impressive. But Pausch's friends decided to put his final lecture on YouTube. The video went viral, millions of people saw it. ABC devoted a whole hour to telling his story. The book born out of his final lecture became a number one bestseller. There were 400 people in the lecture hall originally, but Dr. Pausch said he really did what he did for three people, just three people, his three little children, whom he feared would not remember him. So the speech was his legacy to them. He talked about some of his childhood dreams, things like being in zero gravity, playing in the National Football League, authoring an article in the World Book Encyclopedia, and how some of those dreams had come to pass and others had not. He wanted his children to believe in their dreams. Randy Pausch died July 25, 2008, at the age of 47. The last lecture. What would yours be? What would you say if you knew you were going to die and had a chance to sum up everything that was most important to you? Today we're going to talk about leaving a legacy of blessing, leaving a legacy of blessing. For the past three months, we've been studying the life of Jacob as a kind of everyman disciple. He is me, he is you, uh, blessed and limping in his journey with God. And this is our last sermon in that series. In our text for today, Jacob's life is coming to an end. And like Randy Pausch, he wants to leave a legacy for his children and grandchildren a legacy inspired by his dreams, dreams God had given to him. God had appeared to Jacob in a dream at a point when it seemed all that Jacob had ever wanted was lost. And God had then promised Jacob that the land on which he slept that night would be his. God had promised that Jacob's descendants would be like the dust of the earth and all the peoples on earth would be blessed through him, this lonely exile. God had also offered this stunning, unbelievable promise. I am with you, the Lord said to Jacob. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. It was that collection of sacred promises that Jacob wanted to pass on to his sons in his own last lecture. At this point in the story, Jacob has returned to Bethel, where he first encountered God in a dream. And there God renewed his promises to Jacob. Soon after, Jacob's youngest son, Joseph, takes uh, center stage in the book of Genesis, while Jacob 
and his other children begin to play supporting roles. You may know Joseph's story. Let me summarize it. Joseph was sold into slavery by his jealous older brothers and was taken down to Egypt. And they then told their father, Jacob, that Joseph was dead. He'd been killed, which nearly killed the man because Joseph was his favorite son. But God worked through Joseph to save Egypt and all the people around them from starvation. Joseph was elevated by Pharaoh to the second highest position in the land of Egypt. And so when the famine, this worldwide famine, reached the land of Canaan, where Jacob and his family lived, the family eventually had to move to Egypt. And Jacob was soon reunited there, much to his surprise, with his beloved son, Joseph. So in our text for today, Jacob is very ill. He's near death. He calls for Joseph to come and bring his two young sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, Jacob's grandsons, that he might bless them. When they arrive, here's what happens. Genesis chapter 48, beginning in verse 13. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right and toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh on his left toward Israel's right hand, and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Verse 17, when Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, no, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day. To me, this is almost comical. You have to really visualize it. You know, Jacob crossing his hands to do the blessing wrong, <laughs> and Joseph uncrossing them so that Jacob would do it right. You know, Dad, you're messing up the blessing. You know, Jacob's life was a mess, his family was a mess, and and now he's messing up the blessing. And then Jacob saying to Joseph, I know, I know, but I'm going to do it this way anyway. Crotchety old grandpa. (laughs) We get to be that way, you know. Jacob insists on giving the blessing of his right hand to the younger son of Joseph, Ephraim. Does this sound at all familiar? Do you see what's happening here? This means that for four generations now, God's blessing has been turned upside down to rest on the younger son rather than the older. On Isaac, not Ishmael. On Jacob, not Esau. On Joseph, not Reuben. And now on Ephraim, not Manasseh. It seems to me that God is laying down the tracks for the principle of grace alone. Grace alone. He's laying down those tracks early on in his dealings with his people, here with the patriarchs. God is going out of his way to establish from the get-go that our lives being blessed 
is all of his grace. And it's not at all due to our position in life or our skill or strength or smarts or effort in any way at all. Grace alone. As the Apostle Paul summarizes it so well in the New Testament letter to the church in the city of Corinth, 1 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 27, he writes, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. It is not because of you or anyone else or me. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. That's grace. That's grace. Nothing in ourselves of which we can boast. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. The blessing of God turns everything on its head. It's his blessing, his choosing, his saving. It comes not to the favored of the world, but to those sovereignly favored by God. Grace, all of grace, from Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to Ephraim to me and to you, through Christ alone, grace alone. So it is in the midst of this final time of blessing from Jacob to his grandsons, passing on the blessing, passing on the legacy of God's amazing grace, that there are three lessons for us today. And the first is, if you want to leave a legacy of blessing, never make this world your home. Never make this world your home. Jacob knew. For a lifetime, Jacob knew what it was like to be an alien, to be a stranger in a strange land not his own, an immigrant never quite settling down. For fear of his angry brother, he had hid in exile for 20 years. Later in his life, when the famine came, he had to leave his God-given land and move to Egypt, always on the move. And all the while, God kept promising to Jacob, I have a land for you. I have a land for you. This was God's promise to all the patriarchs. Hebrews chapter 11 says this, beginning in verse 9. By faith, Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. You see, even when Jacob was in the land God promised him, he knew deep down by faith that there was an even better land waiting for him. He knew. He knew he was an alien looking for a better country, a heavenly country, where God had prepared a city for him. His faith in that reality was his legacy. Have you ever been a visitor in a land not your own? Or have you ever lived in a community that never really felt like home to you? 
How did you know you were an alien there? It was not just the language or that you didn't know your way around. It was something deeper. Something deeper. You thought to yourself, these are not my people. I do not think as they do. What is beautiful or tasty or valuable to them is not so to me. I do not share their heritage or their future. If I lived here the rest of my days, I would not belong, not in my heart of hearts. Well, again and again, the Bible tells those who live by faith, believing that God's promises are yes and amen for us in Jesus, we believe that we too are aliens and strangers in this world. We're just passing through. And how could it be otherwise for us? The Savior and Lord we follow said about himself that the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In this Advent season, as we are remembering his coming and anticipating his coming again, remember that Jesus walked through this world as a stranger in a strange land. Even his own did not receive him. And yet he laid down his life for sinners in the greatest sacrifice ever to be made. And by so doing, Jesus is leading many sons and daughters to glory, to that heavenly city where he is preparing a place for all those who trust in him. Praise God and be careful. Be careful about getting too cozy, too settled, in this world. Be careful about the bonds your heart makes or the roots you put down. Uh, We are not Democrats or Republicans, but Christians. We are not citizens or immigrants, but Christians. Whatever flag stirs our patriotism, it is the banner of Christ that must have our absolute loyalty. No matter what nationality you claim, whose food you love, and what accent is most beautiful to your ear, we are first and foremost the people of Jesus. We are children of the King of Heaven. Our food is the manna of the bread of life. Our drink is the wine of Christ's blood. Our words are accented by by Scripture's truth and the breath of God's Spirit. You know, when your child goes out with friends, you say something like, do not forget who you are. Wherever you go, whatever you do, do not forget who you are. You say that to your children. So it is for us. We must not forget who we are in Christ. And so we must never make this world our final home. Second, if you want to leave a legacy of blessing, remember God's faithfulness to you. Remember God's faithfulness to you. Hebrews 11, verse 21, also says, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, and this is our passage for today, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. But when we read the account in Genesis 48, it doesn't seem like Jacob is worshiping. We we, we don't really get that at first. So look again, because that is exactly what Jacob is doing in verse 15 as he begins his blessing in Genesis 48. 
He says, may the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. That, my friends, is worship. That is worship. Those three phrases that identify Jacob's God were full of stories and prayers and promises about who God is and what he had done. And can you hear the early notes of the melody line in a three-part harmony sounding the nature of Jacob's God and ours as one God, but a mystery, a triune God, a three persons in one God. Listen again to Jacob's words about his God. The God before whom my fathers walked. Ah, a heavenly father to the fathers. The God who has been my shepherd all my life. Ah, the son of God who is the great shepherd of his sheep. The angel who has delivered me from all harm. Ah, the ministering Holy Spirit of God filling and surrounding us with God's presence. May he bless these boys. May he bless these boys. Jacob had strong memories of God's faithful care. He was looking back over a lifetime, probably amazed he was still alive. And these memories of God's faithfulness make it sound, or can make it sound, like Jacob had enjoyed a a good life, you know. But we know better from studying his life, don't we? Some years earlier, when Joseph had introduced his father to the Pharaoh of Egypt, Jacob summed up his life to Pharaoh with these words. My years have been few and difficult. My years have been few and difficult. Indeed, they had been. Jacob's life had been marked by conflict, struggle, heartache, uh, deception, and sin. Yet the thing he sees, what stands out to him in his old age, even when his eyes are failing him, is God's constant faithfulness. With that in mind, he worships God for the ways God has been faithful to him. You want to to leave a lasting legacy of blessing, remember and rehearse God's constant faithfulness to you. Like Jacob, we have to find ways to remember the faithfulness of God our Father. Uh, To help refresh and, and rehearse our memories, we could take time to consider how God has led those disciples who came before us. We could study the lives of biblical people like Jacob, as we have been doing. We could retrace the stories from church history and even churches we know today. Hebrews 13 tells us to remember those who have led us and taught us over the years, consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Like Jacob, we have to find ways to remember how God has been our shepherd. Jacob, you know, was a shepherd. So he knew that shepherds have three essential jobs. To lead, to feed, and to guard their sheep. Lead, feed, and guard. God had taken Jacob from literally one end of the known world to the other. But the real shepherding had been in the way God had guided Jacob's stubborn 
heart and had fed his empty soul and had guarded him from his toughest enemies, sometimes including himself. That is what God has done for us too. And like Jacob, we have to find ways to remember how God has been like a guardian angel to us. Jacob could look back on his life, and he could see how God had protected him from Laban. That was dicey. God had also reconciled Jacob to his estranged brother Esau, who had once wanted to kill him. And later, when Jacob feared attack by his neighbors because of the sin of his sons, the Bible says that the terror of God fell upon the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. And never forget, in the fiercest fight of his life, it was God's angel presence with whom Jacob wrestled until Jacob finally surrendered his will and God gladly surrendered his blessing. Like Jacob, God has also delivered us from all harm, or we would not be here today. Not a one of us would be here today if God had not delivered us from all harm. And he has come to us not in the form of an angel, but in the form of his only son, Jesus Christ, who delivered us from hell's destruction by dying for us on a cross. Jesus has gone ahead of us and behind us and beside us, protecting us. He has promised that no one can pluck us out of his hand. We know that death has lost its sting and the grave its victory. Jesus holds the keys of death and Hades. Remember that. Remember that. So that you don't grow too fond of this enemy-held territory where we presently, and sometimes pleasantly, but always temporarily, reside. If you want to leave a legacy of blessing. In all the stories of Jacob we have studied, I think one of my favorites is here, in verse 16, where he says, The angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys, may they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly upon the earth. You just have to picture old Jacob. He's nearly blind, feeble, sick. Verse 10 says, Joseph brought his two young boys close to his father and Jacob kissed them and embraced them. That kind of chokes me up as I pictured that. I have grandchildren now too. And then this man, Jacob, who pursued the blessing of God for decades, the man who stole to have it, cheated for it, begged for it, wrestled for it, and finally heard it from God's own voice. This man puts his hands on the heads of his grandsons and blesses them and says, May he bless these boys. May he bless these boys. And this is really where our third lesson from Jacob today and our final uh, lesson in this series comes. That the greatest legacy of blessing we can leave to those who come behind us is our sure hope in the promises of God. Our sure hope in the promises of God. You know, it's a wonderful privilege for a Christian parents to speak God's blessing upon their children and their grandchildren. The kind of blessing Jacob gave here was a sort of God-given inheritance, a passing down of God's promises to
to the next generation, eventually to be fulfilled and sealed in Christ Jesus. However, it's really important for us to know that the blessing Jacob passed on to these boys uh, was not money in the bank for a rainy day, so to speak. No, they were promises from God that they too, these boys, would have to believe and receive for themselves. And this is our legacy too, as parents. The promises of God given to us, given to our children. We pass them down to them, but but they must believe and receive them for themselves. We cannot do that for them. They too, like us, will have to believe God's promises for themselves in order to possess them. Uh, No treasure you could leave in your will. No amount of money or property, no heirloom or tradition or possession or family reputation, nothing, nothing is of such great worth as passing on to them a sure hope in God's promises, secured for us. How? By the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, sealed in his precious blood. We bless our children and our grandchildren, often, you know, whether they realize it or not. We do this in many ways. We do this when we love Jesus more than anything else in this world. When we speak longingly of heaven. When we show them how we do not want to be tainted by the corruption of the world. Uh, We bless them when we love our Christian brothers and sisters. When we love our neighbors. When we love those who do not know God. When we love our enemies. We bless them when they see us treasure God's word when we submit our desires to the will of the Lord Jesus. I'm speaking here not only to parents, but to everyone. Because the children, the teenagers, the young adults, we all belong to all of us in God's family. We all belong to all of us in God's family because we all belong to Jesus. And we're in this together. I think of so many people who shaped uh, the blessing of God for my life. My, my own understanding of God's blessing and my desire uh, to have God's blessing in Christ. It was profoundly shaped by the Christians in the little country church where I grew up in Northern California. But my understanding of the blessed life of a disciple of Jesus Christ was shaped by my pastor, Robert Churchill, who came to us later in his life as a church planter with his wife, Dorothy, when I was in about the third grade. Later on, when I was in high school, he would uh, announce in church that the young people will go out visiting this afternoon. Well, that was code. I quickly learned the code. Uh, That was code that meant my two brothers and I would be traipsing all over the county with him visiting people. It was a small church my two brothers and I pretty much were the youth group, or the Machin League, as it was called. My life of faith was shaped by men like Hal Bird and Earl Robb and other Sunday school teachers who loved me and disciplined me and taught me the doctrines of grace. I was blessed by those who prayed for Shelley and me when we were in seminary and who bore so patiently with me when we would visit 
during those seminary years, and I thought that I now understood all things theological. <laughs> God have mercy. God have mercy. These people, salt of the earth, my people, made God real to me. They blessed me as surely as if they had put their hands on my head and spoken holy words over me, and some of them did. The same for my mother and my father, who played hymns on the piano and sang the words in every home we lived in. Seven houses, I was thinking back, I think about seven houses that I can remember growing up before I got married and left home to start my own. We bless our children and our grandchildren by setting before them our certain hope that God has prepared a heavenly city for us, and Jesus Christ is the one and only way into that city. But our children and our grandchildren, well, we bless them, but they must lay hold of that hope for themselves. So I wonder, you who are children or grandchildren of those who are hope-certain and faith-seeing, have you made hope in Jesus your own? You who are teenagers and young adults here, who may not have a biological faith father or faith mother, but you do have spiritual fathers and mothers here in the church family, have you made faith and hope in Christ your own? As we saw earlier, Hebrews chapter 13 says, Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what that means is that Jesus is the great blessing of their lives, and Jesus can be the great blessing of your life, too. It can be the same for you as for them. He's the same. Have you made hope in Christ and faith in Jesus yours? I preached this series much like Jacob. Blessed, limping, leaning on my cane and sitting in my pulpit chair and worshiping, worshiping. I've preached this series for all of us who are the present of this blessed church family, New Life Philadelphia. But even more, I think I've preached this series with your help for those of you who are also the future of this church. And I humbly recognize that I am not the future of this church. You are. You are. And I could not be happier about that. I'm so happy for that. That we will leave our faith and our ministry in your hands for the days yet to come. Will you receive it? Will you receive it? We who are your parents, your spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers, we've prayed as Jacob prayed, may the God before whom our fathers walk, the God who has been our shepherd, the God who has delivered us from all harm. May he bless these boys, these girls, these young women, these young men. May he bless you. We have prayed for you. We love you. And we want the legacy of God's blessing to rest upon you in power and in great joy. But you must receive it. You must want it. You must take the baton of faith that we pass to you and make it your own. You must make that unseen city of God your life's destination. You must take the gospel of Jesus Christ 
and make it the good news you believe for the forgiveness of your sin and as the path of life in which you walk. And there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing that we want more for you than that great blessing. And with that prayer, uh, the prayer of present disciples for future disciples, with that prayer we end this Jacob series. May God bless you in your journey with him into the future that he has for you. And oh yes, uh, you will pick up your own distinctive limp along the way as you walk with God and you wrestle with him. But that's okay. That's okay. You will be so blessed by his presence with you wherever you go that your limp will remind you and keep you leaning on him for even more grace. And how can more grace ever be bad? Amen? Amen. Let's pray.